Hi Rob, I thought I'd send you a quick note about my one hour outside photo challenge taking place in February. The challenge, which I've been running for around eight years or so now, is designed to help inspire us in two ways throughout February, to take a photo every day and to spend a little bit of time outside on a daily basis. It's a bit of image-based mindfulness, if you like, to encourage creativity, an opportunity to think about something specifically when we're outside and to pay a little extra attention to the world immediately around us. Details and all the daily prompts will be published on Spoz Blogs on the 25th of January, one week before it starts. And I hope you and your listeners will be joining in. Thanks. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Outdoors Adventure Podcast. I'm Rob, I'm your host, and I hope you're keeping well in this little cold snap that we're having across the UK at the moment. This week we have a news episode and having not done one for a little while, we've got quite a lot to catch up on. So yes, hello, I hope you're all keeping well. It has gone extremely cold in the UK, hasn't it, in the last couple of days. We're in that middle part of January. It's all a little bit depressing and it's all gone very cold, but obviously it has its pros and cons when it goes cold. One of the pros being if you are into more adventurous uh, winter mountaineering, I'm talking ice climbing, and talking gullies, uh, hopefully we're going to have plenty of snow to muck about in in the next couple of weeks, next couple of days in fact. I'm recording this on Monday the 12th, I want to say, no it's not, Monday the 15th of January and we are in the middle of a little bit of a cold snap it's not going to get much above zero and um I've had a little bit of snow last day or two had a little bit for Christmas in certain parts of the UK and uh we are expecting quite a lot more in the next day or two so hopefully we get some good conditions for some gully fun and nice climbing fun in the next day or two lasting and hopefully a little while longer I would be taking advantage of it if I wasn't laid up with this stupid back of mine. It's really getting me down now. I've not been able to play squash. I've not been able to think about any fun adventures. And I do have a weekend booked in in a couple of weeks' time to go and do something cool and fun. And I just can't think about it whilst I can't even walk up the stairs properly. But it's getting better day by day. So I live in hope. Uh, anyway, this week, like I say, we've got the news. We haven't done one since the middle of November due to the specials in December, which means that there is quite a lot to catch up on. So we will crack straight on with the news. So first up this week, I'm not going to spend long on this because it's one of these stories that has uh, rumbled on and on. Now, when I first started this podcast about a year ago, I think this was possibly one of the first bits of news that I reported on. And it continues as these legal challenges often do. And I'm sure you uh, might know what I'm talking about now. I've said legal challenges. And that is the uh, ruling of the Supreme Court to allow a challenge to a ruling on camping on Dartmoor. So this rumbles on. Obviously, the Darwalls uh, is a familiar name in the outdoors community these days uh, because in January 2023, uh, the Chancellor of the High Court upheld Alexander Darwall and his wife's contention that the legal definition of open-air recreation did not include camping. What that meant is... There used to be an area of Dartmoor where we were legally allowed to wild camp and uh, now we're not allowed to do so. 
That was challenged by the National Park and upheld by the courts. And therefore, we were given our rights back. And now the Supreme Court has got involved. And there's another legal debate going to continue. And who knows how long it will go on for. However, the National Park and other open spaces charities have obviously expressed their wish to challenge anything in the courts and fight our rights to continue while camping. Like I say, I'm not going to spend too much talking about it because it's one of those. I've just got to bring you the facts for now. I've given my opinion on it numerous times. And if we're all just a little bit more responsible, perhaps this wouldn't have happened in the first place. So continue to camp while camping uh, responsibly, guys, or this could happen um, a lot more over the UK. So, yeah, that is uh, obviously some disappointing news for the outdoors community. However, a piece of news which is going to rumble on even longer. Okay, so next up, I'm looking at a report from uh, the Outdoors for All organisation. This is an organisation that's supported by so many different uh, outdoors type communities and charities. I want to say 4, 6, 20... Oh, over 40 agencies, including the BMC, British Canoeing, British Cycling, the Ramblers Association, Swim England, National Trails, the Outdoor Swimming Society, Camping and Caravan Club, Canal and River Trust, and so many others. Um, this is, They've shared uh, their vision and their manifesto for 2024, where they're calling for extended public open access rights for more landscapes. This is obviously an ongoing debate and an ongoing piece that I could do an entire podcast on, and in fact I will uh, very soon, about the open access into the UK. However, the report does have some quite shocking statistics in it, really, uh, which I think goes to show there is a lot of work to be done across the UK, Things like we are we rank the lowest of 14 European nations on nature connectedness. Now, I would like to know how they measure that. Uh, yeah, how do you measure nature connectedness? But I'm sure there's a way to do it if there's 14 nations doing so. And that ties into the fact that we are 11th out of 15th in terms of uh, levels of physical activity in the UK. Um our population is 20% less active than it was in the 1960s and it's forecast to be 30% less active by 2030. So it's all on a bit of a downward spiral and as an outdoors community, I'm sure we can't relate to that because we like being active and outdoors. But obviously these uh, these communities and societies uh, want to actively encourage people to get outdoors. It's always shocked me that about 8%, only about 8% of our current right to roam access rights across the UK. Uh, We only have access to about 8% of the land. That's always shocked me. 8%, I don't... But then I suppose when you're on a plane and you're flying over the UK, (laughs) there's a lot of farmer's fields, isn't there? And I suppose you can't get access to them, but... Um, It still seems like a shockingly low statistic. However, one thing that did stick out that really shocked me that I've not seen before, and this is that 19.6 million people in the UK do not live within a 15-minute walk of green or blue spaces. So no canals, no rivers, no parks within a 15-minute walk of 19.6 million of us. Now, I live in a little village, so I'm within a minute's walk. 
And in fact, I can look out my back garden and see open green fields and hills and spaces, which is lovely. So it's hard for me to uh, to, to to relate to this statistic. But yeah, I guess those 19.6 million people, probably about 100% of them, uh, will be in cities and city centres. Um, I guess so. I don't know. Uh, so those living in cities, I guess, would have a lot less access to the outdoors. But it still surprises me that you're not within a 15-minute walk of even a park. So a lot of work to be done, and I will put a link to this manifesto in the show notes for the podcast. Okay, so sticking with, um, oh, I don't know, the political landscape, shall we say. Uh, is this, well, to be honest with you, I read this article and I just got a little bit angry about it. Because it just seems to be politicians playing the political landscape and not actually taking the outdoors that seriously. Uh, and this was a statement released by Rishi Sunak just before COP28, which was in Dubai at the end of November, early December. And he released a statement um, about future plans for national, well, searching for a new national park in the UK, um, a strategy on British rainforests, which I didn't really know existed, and landscape recovery projects with farmers. It's coming for quite a lot of criticism because. He has made a number of U-turns recently on other environmental projects um, that he thought would win him a lot of votes, but apparently he hasn't. And now we get into this time of year with a general election coming up later this year. It just feels like politicians are trying to say the right thing and don't actually want to do the right thing. Um, I don't know. I've become very sceptical of politicians <laughs> over the years. Uh, he's announced things like a £15 million boost in funding for existing national parks. Well, he's cut funding, or the Conservatives have cut funding uh, since they came into power. And £15 million doesn't really touch the size, does it? Let's be honest. You know, £750 grand for a research facility for rainforest strategy. £750 <sighs> grand. We all know that doesn't really touch the size these days along with £2.5 million to improve access to nature for children. Well, first of all, again, £2.5 million is nothing compared to you know, the vast amount we spend on other areas of the economy. Uh, and there's no detail whatsoever on how that's going to be achieved. So it, it just strikes me of him trying to say the right things based on the fact that he has come into a lot of criticism on his environmental policies recently. He apparently, now this is something that came out that I didn't really realise, but apparently polls show that climate and nature actually feature above above voters' concerns on immigration. Considering the amount of time we put into debating immigration in this country versus climate and nature, goes to show perhaps we should start flipping that. Perhaps it's the fact that there is a, uh, not a silent majority, a loud minority of people who want to discuss my, uh, immigration, well, actually, the rest of us aren't that concerned about it. Uh, so, yeah, well, I'll pop the article in the show notes. You can have a read yourself and see what you think about it. It's all well and good. Talking the talk, but can you walk the walk? History says no, and the amount of money that it's talking about putting forward, to me, goes to show is not actually taking it that seriously.
Okay, next up, a little bit of positive news, which has come out of the devastating news of the Sycamore Gap tree that was felled in September. Um, obviously, they reported on this back in the last year about, uh, well, I'm sure we all heard about it. It kicked off all over the place. I mentioned that I'm a Millwall fan, and even Millwall fans are talking about it online. <laughs> Which is not the most mealable thing to talk about. Um, but yeah, this uh, tree that was felled on the Sycamore Gap in September, the National Trust said that they uh, worked hard and worked quickly to basically try and collect material that would be, uh, uh, would, would enable them to propagate from the tree. So basically, they collect a load of mature seeds uh, from the tree to see and cuttings to see if they can grow future trees from its descendants. Um, now, I, I have also mentioned a few times on the podcast that I do have an allotment. Uh, so I know full well that it's not really the best time of year to be growing or propagating things. But apparently they have a um, they have a, a special lab that they can do these sort of things from at different times of the year. And things are looking pretty good. They reckon about 30% of the mature seeds and about 50% of the cuttings will be viable which means that they'll be able to grow new descendants from the tree in the future. They've also taken a look at the trunk of the tree and they're hoping that it will be strong enough to continue to grow uh, of the original tree, but they won't know uh, for up to three years. Um, so, they're, uh, you know, these things, uh, I hated it at the time, as with most of us did. It's a completely pointless act that's angered a lot of people. But out of uh, adversity comes opportunity. And if we can uh, grow more trees from the descendants of the tree, uh, the sickle gap tree, and uh, the original comes back in strength, then hopefully there'll be some positive news from it in the end. In a bit more positive news, I think uh, the second piece of news I ever reported this time last year was some uh, mountain rescue uh, leaders who made it onto the uh, honours, New Year's honours list, uh, being appointed, uh, appointed OBEs and MBEs. Again, some really positive news that somebody else has made it onto the MBE list for 2024, and her name is Penny Kirby. She's part of the Wasdale Mountain Rescue Team and she's been honoured in the New Year's list. Uh, obviously, it's lovely to see the recognition that these guys deserve. However, when you look at Penny's history with Mountain uh, Rescue and the Lake District Mountain Rescue Search Dog Association too, it's quite astounding the level of input that she's had. She was involved in December 1988 after the Lockerbie air disaster. So she's been involved for over 40 years now. And in that time, she's participated in more than 1,200 call-outs for the Wasdale Mountain Rescue Team of the Lake District, which is where she's based, obviously. Uh, it's quite amazing that uh, she's been involved in such a long time, um, not just in mountain rescue, but also training up the dogs to, ser to search for people hidden in, uh, lost in the mountains and being involved in some wider projects such as that um, in Lockerbie, the disaster, um, such a long time ago now. Uh, she said, it's an immense honour to be receiving this award. I'm very fortunate to be in a position to help people in an environment I love. It's a privilege to pay a small part in my local mountain rescue team 
and also the Lake District Mountain Rescue Search Dogs Association and the wider mountain rescue community. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I hear somebody from the mountain rescue teams, it always strikes me that they are extremely humble and non-judgmental too. Uh, She's obviously been involved in uh, a lot of rescues over that time, 1,200 and uh, been involved in much wider projects as well and obviously uh, well deserved. I think anyone who gives up their time to volunteer for Mountain Rescue deserves all the recognition they can get. So congratulations on Penny. So sticking with Mountain Rescue, um, the uh, I think we're all aware of uh, the outdoors uh, community growing and uh, people's uh, love for the outdoors continues to grow and the popularity of certain areas of the UK uh, continues to grow, some more so with less experienced guys and it seems to be the case um in Lamberis. Now I know I've said that in my hopelessly awful English accents. But it's been reported from the Mountain Rescue team in Lamberis that they have had their busiest year ever uh, with over 300 call-outs. That is insane. That's like a call-out a day. And then obviously, I'm sure they don't get one every day. There must be a couple that come in on the same day at times as well. Obviously, it's putting a massive strain on the team. And, uh, well, I think it's already been reported that basically Mountain Rescue are pretty much working at 100%. Um, They say that their average member attends around 40 call-outs a year. So, obviously, not all members attend all 300 call-outs. That would be some commitment. Um, But, uh, yeah, obviously, you can imagine the impact that has on them and their families think all this does really it just goes to show that the mountain rescue teams are growing in terms of the number of call outs they need to attend and we can all do our bit to act responsibly and help them and obviously they need all the resources they can get too so if we ever get any opportunities to stick a couple of quid in those mountain rescue boxes that we see in the pubs in the lake district and stadonia and all the other outdoors areas across the uk and then stick a couple of quid in it all goes to a worthy cause and who knows when we might need them this ties me into something else i'm going to talk about in a couple of weeks time when i talk about program reviews and i've been watching sos extreme rescue recently i'm not too sure if you've seen it but it's all about following mountain rescue teams in snedonia um so yes an incredibly interesting insight into the way the agencies work there Uh, and this ties in nicely with this news that they've had their busiest year to date Okay, next up is a resource from the Ramblers Association that they've launched to try and get uh, beginners into the outdoors. Uh, Apparently, the walking charity said that a fifth of people they surveyed said that worry about getting lost was the main reason why they didn't go walking. So the organisation have put together a series of short videos to help people with their confidence in route finding when they head into the outdoors. There's 17 short accessible episodes full of tips, tricks and tactics from the Ramblers Association on their website. It covers fundamental techniques from map reading to compass basics and also covers a range of practical advice for finding your way in different surroundings. The video is being delivered by mountain leaders Sam Knight, the Ramblers Association 
uh, coordinator Lucy Wallace and the Ramblers Scotland's uh, vice president. So yeah, that's a good little uh, good little uh, resource uh, that beginners can use to uh, go and help themselves uh, navigate the outdoors and build their confidence and get more and more people into the outdoors, which is what it's all about. So as I'm sure a lot of you might have seen if you're on social media, the Montaigne Spine Race is back underway. Uh, now, at the time that this episode releases, um, there, ooh, there might be a finisher. Oh, yeah, maybe just... Mm, no, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. There will be some getting towards the end of the main Spine Race. Obviously, there's some shorter ones. But the main spine race goes on for the entire length of the Pennine Way, basically, which is 260-something miles, I want to say. Uh, 268 miles. Yeah, so uh, this is currently underway. You can track the runners uh, on their website, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. And I will report back on the winners in next month's news section. Last up is a little bit of outdoorsy stroke business news. And this is the news that uh, shares in the company that owns uh, the retailers Go Outdoors, Blacks and Millets dropped 23% on Thursday after it issued a profits warning. Now, this is a bit of a behemoth of a company. Uh, they take they took on Go Outdoors a number of years ago now. Um, and I think we're all aware of the fact that Go Outdoors, as much as it's a, a well-loved outdoors retailer, and to be fair to them, do a lot of good value lines, uh, is owned by quite a large organisation, JD Sports. Um, now, here's the thing. <laughs> They issued a profit warning. What a shame. They weren't going to make a billion pounds this year. They were only going to make 920 million pounds. I mean, it's still massive profits, isn't it? But perhaps it goes to show that our buying trends are changing. Why don't you let me know? Do you spend less in shops these days? Or do you do more online shopping? Or have you changed retailers that you don't that you go to? Do you shop more independently as people become more responsible with their shopping habits? It's interesting to see uh, these outdoors uh, shops and how they go and how they trade. Because I think it says a lot about our buying habits. Personally, I still like going to go outdoors. I've got to admit it's you know you can go in and lose yourself in there for a couple of hours sometimes and just have a mooch and have a look around you can look at the cheaper gear the more expensive gear and you can dream on having some of the better stuff and i just like picking things up and touching them and playing with them and look at them and uh i don't think online will ever replace that for me uh but yeah uh it's interesting to see that they apparently have had a, a a bit of a disappointing year for them considering the fact that they're still going to make over 900 and 900 million pounds um they they said it was slightly behind their expectations due to milder weather from the second half of september uh so that's what they're blaming it on but who knows it could uh, it could be a much wider piece that uh, we see a number of outdoors retailers uh, struggling with Thank you. 
So thank you for listening to this episode of the Outdoors Adventure Podcast. There's plenty to catch up on considering we've not done a news episode for quite some time. Uh, I do hope that we get some good conditions for those of you who like the colder weather and like the colder weather environments. And we get to have a bit of a play around uh, in the mountains in the next couple of weeks. If we do, then please stay safe on those articles I just spoke about regarding mountain rescue just goes to show the pressure they're under please do stay safe if you're out in the ice and the snow make sure you have all the correct gear with you next week we have a uh, trip report and a bit of a different trip report this time i think i mentioned last week that i was struggling to get out and about because of my back i appealed for help and somebody came in and they've recorded a trip report for me i won't spoil it until next week but yeah, it's an interesting one, a slightly different to the way we normally do things. Uh, but it's a fantastic trip report from an area of the UK. Perhaps you might not have explored before, but having listened to the recordings, it's made me want to go. So we'll see you next week. <laughs>